reading of God's Word this morning. You've probably not heard a message from this text or on this subject uh, the last Sunday before Christmas, but I believe the Lord gave it on, put it upon my heart for a specific purpose and for specific people because He knew who would be here today. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, reading from the Amplified Version. This is the Apostle Paul writing from a prison cell in Philippi. Now don't think prison like we have prisons. Think limestone walls, no lights. He's partially if not completely naked, chained to a wall in an inner dungeon. And this is what he said. I'm not implying that I was in personal want for I've learned how to be content, which means satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I find myself. I have learned, I know how to be abased and I know how to live humbly in straightened circumstances. Here's the other part. I also have learned how to enjoy plenty and how to live in abundance. Most Christians struggle with one or two of these areas. They don't know how to enjoy what they have. Or they don't know how to enjoy life in lack. But it's God's desire that we enjoy the life He's given us. I've learned in all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and enough to spare, or going without and being in want. I have strength for everything, every season, every situation through Christ who empowers me and I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency for my life. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I want to go ahead and give the disclaimer before I preach so that you won't think from the beginning I'm going down this avenue. Much of Christianity in our local churches has now been reduced to a Christianity light where you come in and it's God wants you happy, God wants you well, uh, how are you in God, find your better self, go to the next level. And the goal of Christianity, let's be crystal clear, the goal of Christianity is not to be happy. But it is a byproduct. The goal of Christianity is to know the Lord, to find forgiveness of our sins, to accept relationship, and to be aware of God in us, behind us, before us. But there's so much emphasis from a legalistic side that it's not God's plan. His purpose, His uh, primary purpose is not for us to be happy that we've lost sight of the fact but he does want us happy and it's a byproduct of knowing him recognizing him anticipating him and seeing him in all circumstances now I'm going to loosen you up because you're stiff a little bit Sunday morning everybody's kind of stiff All right, I want to talk about unhappy people just look straight ahead 
Don't look at nobody besides you. Look straight ahead. They aren't hard to find. They can justify their unhappiness in spades. They resent happy people. I don't know if you know that or not. They may not tell you, but they resent you. Ain't no, no reason for all that. They can't be all that happy. And then they'll say in their closed circles, if they was going through what I was going through, darling, everyone on your row has tasted pain and sorrow and lack and loss and betrayal, but some on your row have found the secret to facing all of life's circumstances and having the capacity not to turn it into happiness, but find happiness while they're there. Oh, that's good there. Unhappy people gravitate to unhappy people. The benefit of them resenting us is they don't want to hang around us. Birds of a feather do flock together, yes. Unhappy people eventually become bitter. And I've known them to self-medicate. Because unhappiness is a cruel taskmaster. Some blame God and others. Many unhappy people are tricked into thinking that their life is harder because they'll compare themselves, and I'll get to that in a moment, but they'll compare themselves where they are today to somebody else where they are today. But baby, you may be comparing yourself to someone who's at the end of their movie and you didn't miss, you missed the chapters in the middle. Every life has its share of sorrow and bitterness. But the saddest thing about unhappy people is they often die the way they live, unhappy. So Paul said, I have found a secret. I found, Paul said, I found it. It's like it just jumped out at me and I've found the secret of how to live in every situation. This will be my last disclaimer. We'll get right to the sermon. God's not giving us tricks so that we can eradicate all the difficulties of life. He wrote this from a prison. He's showing us the secret of how to experience happiness in every situation. Not to the exclusion of the negativity, but to experience happiness. And it is this. The secret to happiness is to recognize, repent, and reject every form of discontentment. It's not what you add to your life that makes you happy. It's what you get out of your life that makes you happy. Paul said, I've learned to be content, which means satisfied. I'm not moved to jump out of the boat. I can be in any situation and experience portions of happiness. How sad would it be to have this scripture echoing in your ear, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and think that that would not include happiness as well as peace, happiness. Christians ought to experience with their sufferings and tribulations because if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer tribulation. But we ought to be able to experience and enjoy happiness better than anyone else because our future is written in the blood of Christ. We're secure. All right. So if we are to recognize, repent, and reject 
every form of discontentment, we have to cover a few things. Number one is this. Discontentment starts with false assumptions. Discontentment starts with false assumptions. Your pastor can be a very carnal man. I am one of the most grateful people I know. And I can become discontent in my gratitude. You say, well, how's that so? Because I'm crazy, that's why. I wrongly believe that there is a place in life where everything works, everything works smoothly, it works as it should, it works fairly and justly, and it doesn't. Many of you have laughed at my idiosyncrasies. I said, if your refrigerator won't keep your stuff cold, get a new refrigerator. If your dog will not come, get a new dog. Dogs are plenteous. It ought to work. And because I believe it ought to work, I find myself discontent when my life does not seamlessly flow into a cacophony of ease and fluidity by which I've designed and I am worthy of. Are there any other John Woods out there? I believe that if I make the right choices, I can prevent negative, unforeseen, and undeserved things from happening to me and those I love, and by these same choices, create wealthy, healthy, and happiness for my life. That false assumption leaves me to a uh, beaten. I pridefully believe that cut grass should not grow again, clean houses should stay clean, fold laundry stays folded, and paid bills remain paid. Someone sent me something on Facebook this week. It was this huge pile of laundry in the den. It was as high as the Christmas tree. And they said, if you can't get to it, decorate it. And there were lights all over it. <laughs> and mistletoe hanging from it. I didn't agree with it, but it was cute. I ignorantly believe. So, so far I'm clueless, prideful, and ignorant. I ignorantly believe that other people have and experience this carefree life of material peace, bliss, and ease, but in reality, it does not exist for anyone. And here it is, this false assumption. Contentment is never found outside of you. It does not work its way outside in. Get it right, 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 find it. It's created within and works its way out. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul from the prison cell said, I'm learning a secret. I'm learning that if the pressure on the inside is greater than the external forces on the outside, I can keep the water of this world out of my life. But it takes a strong ship it takes disciplines. You have to weed this garden often. External things may bring excitement. They may bring joy and they may bring pleasure, but they do not bring contentment. Listen to this. Contentment is not the result of material accumulation, but spiritual formation in the life of a believer. Contentment is not the fruit of the Spirit. So by the Holy Spirit abiding in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. No mention of contentment. Because contentment is a secret found by those that choose to live in an awareness of all that they have. 
while not ignoring what they don't have, allowing the graces of contentment to pressurize their soul so that they don't go under in discontentment. Contentment is born of wisdom, framed by our experiences, proven by our countenance. The greatest false assumption for a believer is that satisfaction cannot be found where I am, as I am, with what I have. So, John, okay, you're saying to, to, to be content. How do you be content? By removing discontentment. Call it what it is. Abort it. Have no part of it. Said All that I have, I know that I may be in difficult situations and I may be pressed beyond measure, but God has been good to me. And I will not let what I don't have define me or limit me from enjoying the simple things in life. That's why some people act different in a hospital bed than someone else. Neither one of them are having a good time. As a pastor, you visit the hospitals, it'll change your life. I remember, uh, it's not in my notes, but let me just tell you all. I, there was a lady in my history, there were sisters. Should I call their name? Y'all may know them. I'll just say, uh, nice Kate and not nice Kate. <laughs> and they were both struggling physically towards the end of their life. And I'd walk in and see the not nice Kate. And I'd say, hey, good afternoon. Is it? Sure. You walk in and, would you like me to pray for you? Don't really matter. Nothing's going to happen. You know. It, it was bad. It was, it was rough. And we'll say, how you doing? How you think? Tubes in every open hole in my body. Look at me. Ain't had food. In and by the time, you know, I'm getting ready to leave. I don't even smoke and I wanted a cigarette. I was just reaching for something to. I was like, whoa. And I go in and see the sweet Kate. And I said, hey. She goes, oh. Hey, John. Immediately in her presence, all the shackles of that came off because the joy that she had did not erase the pain in her body. It transcended it. And now she wasn't that way all the time. I'm sure she wept. I'm sure she sorrowed. But she had her little nightgown or her apron or whatever they put on them there in the hospital. You know, the little, it ought to be, have more snaps on it, more ties to them. I know when I'm wearing them, I'm thinking, you got any Velcro or something? She said, I want to show you something. And she pulled up her little nightgown and there's a patch missing from her leg about that big where they had took a skin graft. And then she said, now look right here in my side. Look how good God's patching me up right here. I got in the elevator. And I may be adding words to it, but this is what it was. Choose this day. Are you going to be the mean Pauline or the, oh, sorry, <laughs> Delete that. The, the unsweet cake or the sweet cake. One believes that she ought to be exempt from the hospital. The other believes that while I'm in here suffering, maybe I ought to be grateful too. Starts with false assumptions. I ain't going to get a lot of amens this morning, but I can get some laughs. All right, number two. <laughs> Discontentment is formed in your heart. And you better guard and garden your heart because God will not do it for you. 
God will not guard your heart. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of your life. Guard and garden. Disconsent, discontentment is formed in a proud heart. I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve now. Much of my discontentment flows from pride. You've heard me confess my faults so many times. I'm standing in a line. How hard is it to scan a can good? You know, really, can we just they keep moving these labels? I can't find it. And I'll pick a line. If you ever want to spend the day somewhere, follow me. Because I cannot find it. And I'm standing in line and my foot's going and I go to the next line and a lady, you know, super coupon comes right in front of me with 16 carts. And, and I remember saying out loud, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I'm impatient. He said, you're not impatient, you're proud. Clears the bell. I said, huh? You're not bothered that the line's not moving. You're bothered that the line that John Wood is in is not moving. I'm like, oh, have you ever just had him just bullseye you? I wasn't grieving. Lord, look at this pitiful lady. Her line's not moving. Oh, the humanity, the injustice. <laughs> Could it be that your discontentment flows from the unchecked pride in your heart that believes that you ought to have more, that you ought to have better, and that you ought to have now? A humble heart thanks the Lord for what they have, even in seasons of lack. It's the byproduct of a bored heart. Like a kid that says, I want something new. I want something exciting. Daddy, I need this new video game. I bought you one three days ago. That's old. There's nothing to that. You should have been born in our generation. Mama cut the end off a broom and said, this is a multi-purpose toy here, buddy. You got your sword. You got your gun. You got your baseball bat? Go have a time! <laughs> Children get bored. Adults are too busy with their responsibilities to be bored. Pearl Buck said that most people forfeit the small joys in their life, always longing for the big happiness. Discontentment is a symptom of an immature heart, not knowing the differences between needs and wants. It's displayed in an ungrateful heart. I demand more because what I have is not enough. Here's what you, you need to understand this different though. Desiring more is not discontentment. Like I would like for my family to have a bigger house or you say I'd, I'd like to get a more dependable car that doesn't need jump starting every week. I'd like to have more. That's not discontentment. A desire for more is not discontentment. Not being able to enjoy what you have and thank the Lord for it to the point where you're disquieted and disturbed with what you don't have. That's discontentment. I can still want, but my life's good and that balance. Discontentment is expressed in an envious heart. Envy is not wanting something you don't have. Envy is wanting something someone else has. And the Bible says in Psalms 10 that the Lord abhorreth covetous people. Abhorreth. Discontentment finds its footing in a desperate heart. They'll say this, anywhere but here, anything but this, anyone but them. 
that finds fertile soil in a blind heart, not being able to see and appreciate what you have. I have to tell myself, ashamedly, say, Pastor John, why do you always tell us the negatives about you? Well, because the Bible said it heals me. If you confess your faults one to another, it can heal you. And I don't want to be this way. But I have to remind myself the obvious. Maybe you, someone else is like me, where you'll have discontentment start to make room in your heart and have to go, no, John, talk. See, talking to yourself is okay. It's when you answer yourself, you know you're close. He said, John, do you know of anybody with more than you? No. Do you know of anyone you would swap with? No. Then what's your problem? And answer. I am immature. I am ungrateful and I am blind. Didn't he say about the Laodicean church in the last day? They would say, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and don't even know that they're blind. Is there any blindness greater than not seeing what you have and where it came from? Happy is the man that can enjoy what he has, where he is. Discontentment lays down deep roots in a self-centered heart. If left unchecked, it will control, guide, consume, and destroy all the beauty that's found in your life. This is the, the subtle thing that discontentment does that you never realize until it's over. It, it focuses on what you don't have, but it extinguishes every little joy. And you can't find joy in your child running across the room to jump in granddaddy's lap. Because the recliner's old. You see what I'm saying? How do you know if you're discontent? Can you truly laugh with other people? Can you truly, in the moment, reflexively live? I don't believe the Lord wants anything for Christmas. Regardless of the songs we sing and the country songs we sing. Nothing wrong with it, but I don't think he wants anything for Christmas. But if you ask me what I think he wants for me, I think he wants me to enjoy my life. This side of Calvary, this side of the forgiveness of my sins, I think he wants me to appreciate every nuance and recognize Scripture, that the Lord has been good to us. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. Blessed, happy, to be envied is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Number three, discontentment has some simple common expressions. So this week I'm not telling you what we need to do. I'm telling you what we need to get rid of. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is, I guess, comes from my backyard and you apply what applies to you. Discontent with who we are. Now, I'm not speaking about healthy discontentment that will not allow us to live worldly, unkept, and, un and not realizing our true potential. I'm referring to the loss of awe and wonder of how fearfully and wonderfully made we are and how God sees us as His creation. There are forms of discontentment that God uses. Like when I start to 
gain weight to where I'm uncomfortable. What do you mean? I, when you go to tie your shoes and you pass out, that's not a good sign. I get, I'm, this part, I'm kind of like a woman. I'll be in the closet and the jeans won't fit. I'll just throw them across the room. Stupid jeans. They don't make them like they used to. They, you wash them and they just dry up. There is discontentment that makes you say, no, thank you. I've had seven pieces of chicken. I don't need any more. Thank you. There's a discontentment that can alter changes. You know what's the most effective weight loss program in the last 20 years to not only lose weight but keep it off? Is to eat every meal butt naked in front of a full-length mirror. You go, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Discontent. I'm not speaking about... There's some forms of discontentment that are good. They motivate us to be all that we can be. I'm not happy with... All that I, I want to realize my potential, but this discontentment accuses God in the way He made us and what He's chosen for us. We're discontent with who we are. Straight hair people want curly hair. Curly hair wants straight hair. Tall people want to be short. Short people go, I'm tired of looking at people's knees. I want to be tall. It's like you can't make us happy. In winter, go, oh, great day. Well, this last summer we had the last three weeks. It's Christmas, ain't even cold, ain't even cold. Feel like summer, I've been wearing shorts. I burnt my head the other day. The sun's out, sun's out. And then the first day it's cold. My Lord, it's cold out here. Can't breathe. Always finding something. Listen to this. In its purest form, being discontent with who we are is the evidence that we believe God made a mistake and has not done enough in the preparation of who we are for His glory. That's why I let you see it all. My bad grammar, the silly part of who I am. I've had people over the years tell me that I was irreverent. And you don't know me. I went years where I never laughed at anything. And he designed me a little odd. And laughter has lubricated some of the tightest places in my life. And when you realize that in my mother's womb, he knit me and designed me. Whether you think I'm funny or not, he does. And he... He sees in me like I see in Isabel and Olivia and Elisha. And he doesn't want me dissatisfied with his workmanship. This outer frame is going to dissolve. But you are the only appreciable asset in the world. And you should never worship you, but you ought to like you because God likes you. If you're his son and daughter, and he doesn't want us self-conscious of all our flaws, we ought to be okay with who we are. Now, that doesn't mean we're okay if we're living in sin or not right, but with the design. I don't know why he gave me a forehead big enough to show a movie on. I don't know. And then when you get a receding hairline, that just accentuates the fact. Oh, you think things like that too. But you know what compensates for that? He likes me. He enjoys me. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a small forehead. 
So we're discontent with who we are, discontent with others. Oh, this is going to just strap in turbulent weather just ahead here. We're discontent with those in our inner circle, wife, children, family. Our outer circle, friends, comrades, confidants, and those who have left our circle. Listen to this. We're discontent with those in our circle when they fail us. We judge their actions, but we judge our motives. They fall short. They can betray us, harm us. And there's a discontentment with them, which if you follow it, of course it, we're not happy with those things. But the pride element is what makes it the grand crime because they did it to us. Somewhere we think that other people were created for us instead of thinking we were created for other people. We judge relationships based on what they can do for us and instead of what we can do for them. We believe that other people exist to supply us with all the things we need. And if you're in this room and you've been the recipient of abuse or abandonment or betrayal or a spouse has walked out, that's not the discontentment I'm talking about. How do you find contentment if your wife or husband was unfaithful? How do you find contentment in them? What you do is, without ignoring the huge fire that consumes so much of the beautiful landscape of your life. What you do is you choose to thank the Lord for the good times that you did have and for the life that you have today and for the hope of tomorrow. And while sorrow exists, you recognize the good things the Lord has given you. We're discontent with, I told you, the inner circle. But then there's the outer circle. Those in the inner circle, we expect too much. And those in the outer circle, we expect too little. We let people lie to us, dilute us, disrespect us, devalue us, take a personal toll on our spiritual, financial, emotional, and relational lives. You know what you ought to do for Christmas? Let some people go. Let, let some people. My Christmas present to myself is I am blocking them from everything. Let them go. And if someone's walked away from you, a friend, a confidant, I love what T.D. Jake said. He said, if people can walk away from you, let them walk. Let them walk. I'm not going to spend another day asking you to like me, appreciate me. My discontentment with you is ruining my life. I'll accept what you did to me and build a life on it or outside of it. Let them go. And discontent with those that have left our circle. We can be discontent with what we have or what we don't have. Wanting more is not what kills you. It's living dissatisfied that does. And I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but I'm just going to kind of read through it and then make an appeal to you and close our service today. Are you satisfied? Satisfied does not mean that you would not like more. Satisfied means that if I don't get more in whatever field, relationships, money, health, opportunity, I am not disturbed and unquieted by what is missing because I'm too grateful for what I have. Paul said, I've learned 
I know Christians that don't want to know what it's like to live with enough. They feel it's noble to always be down, to always be under, to always be in lack, to always have a negative. In the same way, these hyper-charismatics think that the only joy can be found is if you have gold faucets that pour Kool-Aid from your house and everything's blessed, blessed. Paul said, I've learned a trick. I've learned how to navigate both ends of the spectrum with the same mindset. Discontent with what we have will kill you. The husband says, baby, you want to go drive and look at houses? Yes. You drive into this neighborhood and you look at a couple of them. Then she says, maybe unknowingly, we ain't going to never have nothing like this. Which is a billboard that says, I hate where we live. And then there's the woman that drives the neighborhood with the husband and says, these are some beautiful houses. Baby, you remember when me and you lived in a 400-square-foot apartment? Mm -hmm. Do you remember when we had love on a budget? You took her to McDonald's, got that hot apple pie and put a candle in it. She blew that candle out. And the man goes, his heart stopped. She said, you remember all that? I said, yeah. I said, baby, this would be wonderful. I've always dreamed of a house with a kitchen in it like this, but look at me. In the poorhouse or the penthouse, if I got you, I'm good. That man is Superman after that statement. That man can conquer the world. Get out of his way. All Kelly's got to do is compliment any part of me. Can I tell you a little quick something to drive this point home? This is good. So I'm at the fair. Over age, there's certain joints that don't work anymore. There's certain things that's, oh, you need to be more positive. I'm positive they don't work no more. They, it ain't working. If it don't hurt, it don't work. You know. And so I'm going to win my baby. I told some of y'all this, but they're visitors here, so just get over it. Uh, my babies wanted a toy, and I said, well, I can't throw a softball in a bucket leaning, and that basketball goal is this wide. It's been stretched out, and the ball's bigger than And I go, and I said, oh, football through a tire. It's on now. <laughs> and see, I know football, and so they've got it tied to a, a big concrete block, and they got it pulled out this way so you can lob it in. They say, that's easier. I said, well, you do me a favor. I don't want it easy. I want it harder. Will you move the brick back so where the the... the Tire just stays straight. Why? Because I like a challenge. Because I knew that I throw straight. I don't throw into a hole. So I got out there. My wife's standing right there. And I had the ball. And I mean, cold turkey. I wish you could have seen it. It wasn't even good football, guys. Oh, give me that thing. I step back. Right through the middle. And she goes, mm. You ain't seen nothing. You just wait. I'm going to win the biggest animal in the, in the world. I'm pumping money in this thing. I'm, she goes, ooh, and guys are coming. Watch him. You can see how to do it. Just that little bit. Ladies, I'm telling you the secret to guys, just brag a little bit. Just a little bit. 
My baby's got, everybody got a toy. I had people getting toys, walking by. You want an animal? Here. <laughs> Kelly, you want me to throw some more? There are men in this room whose wives can't cook. You'd think they're blind. He'll go to cut. He said, how is it she covered in all the stuff she cooked with? The house looks like a bomb went off in it. He cracks two molars. He said, that's good, baby. Here's the legalist. Liar! 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 Know what he's saying. He didn't say this tastes good. He's looking at his wife, his life, his home, his future, this moment, and a woman who spent an hour and a half cooking a meal that dogs won't eat, but that don't matter. That don't matter. So what are you saying, John? I'm saying that this man has learned the secret. He can go right up the street and eat when he gets in the car and never tell her about it. Thankful. Others have what we don't have. We believe we deserve better. We equate abundance with happiness and prosperity with ease because we're more aware, focused, and invested in this world instead of the one to come. Do you understand that you have sent treasures on ahead that thieves nor rust nor moths can get to? This is just the dress rehearsal. This isn't about anything. This isn't about anything. And the man that has that focus, the woman that has that focus, can pull from a dark world happy moments in the middle of pain. What we want is a life that eradicates all pain, all sorrow, all things to where everything works. It's not going to happen in this world, but you can learn a secret. And the secret is if you will push all, recognize, repel, and reject discontentment and say, I will not live that way anymore. If you get it out like a bubbling spring, contentment starts to fill the void where discontentment was. I'm giving you practical tools this morning. You can't be discontent and happy at the same time. Get it out. I may not have, have all I want, but don't I have a wonderful life? And thank the Lord for it. First Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, Godliness, right relationship with God, holy living, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Listen, and having food and clothing on your body, you should be content. Put your Bible up. You should be content if you ate and you're clothed. Which means you should be able to live undisturbed and not moved because you have enough to get by. And the difference in those that can do that and those that can't is blindness. Thanking the Lord. Refusing. Refusing to be disquieted. Discontent with where we are and where our life is going or not going. So here it is. Discontent with who we are. Discontent with others. Discontent with what we have or don't have. Discontent with where we see our life going or not going. I'll be happy once I finish school. I'll be happy once I find someone. I'll be happy when I get out of this town or make more money. The problem is 
when you finish school, find someone, move away, and acquire some of the nicer things in life, you still have the flawed idea that happiness is found on the other side of more. And happy, happiness is found on the other side of gratitude. Happiness follows contentment. It follows it. It's natural. We're trying to get it to fit in this hole and there's too much in the way. Happiness follows contentment. We compare ourselves with others, which is so dangerous. I told you, you're comparing yourself at the wrong time frame. If you compare yourself, it can produce jealousy or pride. It can cause ingratitude or distrust in the Lord. It's most often done with tunnel vision, and it's very rarely accurate. It's rarely done, comparison is, with pure intentions. It does not consider what is preceded and what is to follow. It does not consider sowing and reaping. It does not consider the overall encompassing nature of God's plans and intentions for you. Comparing yourself to one another keeps you stumbling. How freeing would it be to just let them be where they are and it not trouble you, it not have the bearing when Jesus told Peter of how he was going to die. And he said, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you're going to be tied and taken to a place and to die away, which you're not going to want to do. And he said, what about John? And he said, what is it to you what I do with John? Your, your, life, your life is not tied to what I do with John. It's tied to do with what I've done for you. And some of us, literally live on one of the sides of the Joneses where we're either trying to aspire to be them or to keep what we have like them. Do you have the capacity and is your life an example of those that have learned how to have and it not control you and to have not and it not depress you? The secret of life to the Christian, this side of the cross. Of course, it's knowing the Lord. Of course, it's the union with Him. But there's a lot of people that know the Lord and are saved and aren't happy. They don't have the capacity. The secret is to recognize, repel, and reject every form of discontentment. So finally, how do we recognize discontentment? You'll want to write this down if you've not written anything else down. You know you are discontent when you cannot fully and authentically, those two words, fully and authentically enjoy, appreciate, and celebrate the little things in life. When you have to make yourself smile because someone else is in the room. When you cannot fully and authentically enjoy, appreciate, and celebrate the small things in your life. Mama Sheila challenged me uh, many times with her faith and her walk with the Lord. A lady who is no stranger to pain. But I'm going to just give you one small one. It's just... Look how insignificant this sounds to us. When she sees a red bird, she believes 
and we'll find out in heaven, true or not, that every time the Lord, every time a red bird comes near her car or her window or something, that's the Lord saying, and I don't care if you're in the middle of the deepest conversation. You can be talking about something. If she sees one, she goes, look, 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 look. That's a red bird. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. When you can see the Lord in the expression of your dog when you come home. Nobody else greeted you at the door. And he comes and he, hey. Not just a dog. But Lord, you gave me Chuck. In the worst season of my life, I've never had one love me like this one. Thank you, Lord. When your child standing on the doorstep when you come home, and Mama's taught him another thing Kelly did. It's just when Daddy comes in the driveway, she's going, Daddy's home, Daddy's home, and my little girls are jumping. I can fully and authentically enjoy that expression. Everything that comes in the mail, every kind word, every unexpected gift that comes your way. Happy people are those who the scales are lifted off and they see God dispersing goodness and kindness and grace all along the difficult path home. You are discontent if you cannot fully and authentically enjoy appreciate and celebrate the little things in your life. So how do we repent of discontentment? We repent of it by bringing it to the forefront and calling it what it is in front of God and other people. This is very humbling. When you have to stand in front of your wife and kids and say, come here, everybody come in here. Mama, will you please forgive me? Izzy and Olive... And brother, I need you to forgive me. Daddy's acting so selfish. I am so rich and blessed, and I've just been acting this way. Will you forgive me for my attitude and actions, which are not acceptable? You do that about six times in a day, you are more prone to quit because it's embarrassing. And when you call it what it is, I don't want to sin against God with this discontent attitude. That is a bad commercial for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to do it anymore. Let me me give you an example, totally different, but in the same principle of it. Let's say a man who is looking at inappropriate material on the internet. Instead of saying, I looked at something Friday I shouldn't have looked at, I'm sorry. He goes into the room with his wife, shuts the door and said, I want to ask your forgiveness for this. On this day, I pulled this up. And I lusted with my eyes and I committed adultery in my heart with another woman. And I've asked God to forgive me and I've asked you to forgive me. Do you see the difference in the repentance? When you call it what it is, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. When a woman says, you know, well, I'm not treating him like I should. That's kind of broad. But when she says, I aggravate the life out of that man and I'm killing him. When you confess discontentment, As the accusation against God like it is, you are more prone to back away from it and say, who am I to be ungrateful? Who who am I? And you've heard me say this often. As Christians, we agree. We deserve hell. Are you not a sinner? Are we not sinners? 
We deserve hell. And if we deserve hell, how could we deserve better? Everything you have is bonus. Ben, everything we have is bonus. And I don't know who this is for, but God don't owe me and you nothing. And if you go home and you have a, 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 a door to put a key into, you're rich. You may not have what you want for lunch, but if you can digest food, you're rich. We need to, this Christmas, get it right on the inside that God is good to us. And he, we can find happiness all along the journey. Ben, if you'd come, please. So how do we recognize it? I shared with you. If you can't appreciate and enjoy the little things, how do you repent of it? You call it specifically. You call it out. And you are express in how you do it and consistent in calling it out. And thirdly, how do you reject it? By addressing the first signs of it and never excusing or explaining it away. Because if there is a justification for it, then it will always find its way. And you just immediately say, no, there's no excuse for that. I reject that. Well, Brother John, how does it leave? By degrees. When you weed your garden, watch how we're going to tie it back together at the front. Well, I weeded it, ought to stay weeded. Not in this world. You're going to have more challenges, more disappointments, more setbacks. We praise the Lord when we upsize, but when you downsize, you're going to feel these things. And God's going to take you a certain pathway. And you say, all I know is this. If I'm discontent, I can't be happy. So I'm pushing that out. And watch what will fill your heart. Thank you, Lord. 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 I'm so sorry. I truly am. I can't fix me, but I can call it out. Help us, oh Lord, to find the secret, to have the character and the courage to find the secret and make the application and be thankful. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus that we be thankful in all things. Don't let me preach to others and be a castaway myself, oh Lord. God, I'm asking you this Sunday, only one Sunday left in this year if you should tarry. I am not asking you to do anything in my life that would impress people. I'm asking you to do in my heart as I pray the things that will make me a good commercial for the Lord Jesus Christ. That they'd look at my life and say, I want what he has. Not his stuff, but what he has. But pastor, I'm so sad. I'm so empty so lonely and some of you don't know there are people in this room this is the hardest time of their year and I'm so overwhelmed but who said you couldn't be those things and content please don't think I'm being callous listen sad but unmoved empty but unmoved lonely but unmoved 
several years ago when my wife left and I'm not demeaning her in any way I never did then and I'm not now that first Christmas where I felt like the biggest failure as a husband and as a man and as your pastor Christmas just about killed me because you can hurt so bad that you can't see so I remember putting my best face I could on for Jimmy and we opened gifts and you know anytime he'd turn his head I'd wipe tears we did the presents and I'm sharing with you one of the most personal things in my life so Jimmy went on to, to be with his folks that afternoon and as soon as he shut the door I was just about to pull the blinds, unplug the phone, put the dog outside, you know, be by myself. And I felt the Lord speak to me so clearly. He said, can I come be with you today? He didn't say, can I make your sadness go away? Can I come spend the day with you? And all day, I cried and talk to the Lord I cried and thanked the Lord empty but grateful sorrowful but grateful and what I'm, I learned in bits and pieces there and still learning haven't arrived still learning that if I'll get my perspective right I can still pull happiness out of the air that other people don't even see along the way for Christ is in you Christ is with you and Christ is for you and I believe right or wrong you can judge me by your spirit what the Lord wanted me to tell you for whoever this message is for that what he wants for you this year is for you to be happy to smile again to laugh again to joy again well, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Is it wrong to say if the sun gives you happiness, then you're happy indeed? May this season you find the gift of His Spirit that points you toward contentment. And how do we do it? Get rid of all discontentment and wait for the stream to rise up inside of you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Brother John, nobody knows. No one knows. Or maybe only one or two people know. But I'm chronically unhappy. And I don't want to live that way. Father God, I'm asking you to forgive me for all the things that I've done that have led up to this. And I'm asking you to restore my soul. I'm asking you to restore my soul today. With no one looking around. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and put it back down? My, my goodness. All over this building. All over this building. All over this building. 
almost done. That's all I need. Look this way. If you confess your faults one to another, the Bible said you can be healed. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and scrub you, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, Pastor John, what do I do from here? In every moment, oh, I can't wait to tell you this. This is the last thing, and I got two minutes to tell you. I just can't wait. I can't wait. All you proud daddies and all you mamas that it's more important to you that every hair's in place and you're just, you're, you're so self-aware. It's hard to be happy and self-aware. Okay? Daddy, daddy, come dance with me now. And you're in Publix. You're not seeing all these other people who matter not at all. You're seeing a little girl that thinks you hung the moon and you go, come on. It's found in the littlest of things. And it's a secret. But I'm finding it. And I want it to be so much a part of me that you look at me and go, he, that just beats all I've ever seen. Christ in us, the hope of all glory. Will you do me a favor and have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas? In the name of Jesus. God bless you. See you new Christmas Eve. What time, Ben? 6.30. It'll be about 30, 45 minutes, candlelight service. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Merry Christmas.